A noun is a substantive. That's what it's called, a substantive. A substantive is a substance, and a substance has a certain kind. A kind is a, a thing. It's what it does. For instance, this thing is used for one thing. Now, get your minds out of the gutter if you're thinking something else. But this is for restraint, right? It's also for slavery. Another noun. <laughs> it seems odd, but these two are connected to our message today. This, you think of one thing. It's an oil lamp from Arabia a long time ago, but we think of genies and wishes. Um, now, these have a type, they're a kind, they're nothing else. We describe them as handcuffs, we describe it as a lamp or a, a genie's lamp, and everybody knows what it is. When it comes to us, uh, we're also of a kind, and we can either be of a right kind or a wrong kind. The most important question that any person has is not what they're going to do, but what they're going to be. Far as it is the question of all moral and spiritual uh, determinations. Not what you're exactly going to do, which is what most people are concerned with, but what you're going to be. There's a kind of person who spontaneously does righteousness and love. Spontaneously. Why? Because it's who they are. There is another kind who generally has self in mind. I knew a Christian man who had been suffering under a chemical addiction for years. He lived for himself. And the misery that self-living gave him, really what all idol worshippers feel, led him to an alcohol addiction. Booze anesthetizes the hurting or unhappy soul. But through a series of events, God brought him to a place where basically God put the question to him as he puts to every person. Choose for yourself today who you will serve. It's the question that Joshua put to Israel at the end in his final message in Joshua 24. Choose for today whom you will serve, whether the gods of this world or me, the Lord your God. The person told me that he understood this challenge to be from God, and from fear and a level of despair, he made the right choice. Too few do, not all do. His addiction was cured, and his life completely changed. He is free and happy as a believer today. The amount of addiction to drugs, alcohol, and pornography is astounding in our age. And the fingers of addiction have reached into the church. And it's kept secret, but it's there. There is a reason that runs deeper than addictions, that caused the addictions. And if we can see that, we can be cured. Just like my friend, we can be cured. I do mean that. God cures it. And then we'll become a different kind. No longer a slave, but someone who's free. No longer one who worships self, but one who worships God. That is a kind of person. Many philosophers have thought deeply about this very question, the conflict between who man is and what man does. 
They've debated it, questioned it. It's all over the place. Marx, Freud, Nietzsche, Plato, Socrates. But the Bible, interestingly enough, does not think about this. You don't read the Bible and read in it the debate of what you should do and who you should be. The Bible doesn't debate it. The Bible doesn't question it. The Bible just states it as a fact that every person must decide who they're going to be and who they're going to worship. And that's it. Make your choice today. As God says to Israel over and over, and as the New Testament says to us. So I bring your memory to 1 Kings chapter 18 is a memorable history of the prophet Elijah who challenges Israel to worship God or worship Baal. Make your choice, Elijah says. Elijah on Mount Carmel challenges the priests of Baal to call upon their God to light the fire on the offering on their altar. They build an altar, they put an offering on it, and Elijah says, now cry out to Baal and see if he'll send fire to burn your sacrifice. They dance around the altar like a bunch of frantic banshees. I don't know what a banshee is, but I've heard that before. They cry out to God, to the God that they worship, and nothing happens. Hours go by. They dance around even more frantically. They cry out. Still nothing. Elijah mocks them. Says, perhaps Baal has gone on a vacation. Perhaps he's asleep. Rise, rouse him. They mutilate themselves. They cut themselves. They work themselves into a frantic, bloody, frothy lather. And, exhausted, they quit. The offering sits there untouched because there is no Baal. Then Elijah pours hundreds of fresh cold wa- hundreds of gallons of fresh cold water upon his altar, which has the offering to God. He prays to God. Fire comes down immediately and consumes the offering and all the water. And then, and, and it's clear and. What the, what's shown here is not the uh, just the my God's bigger than your God or my God's greater than your God. It comes down to this very thing that we're we're going to look at today and that we've already stated. Who do you worship? The altar erected to Baal should be taken as a standing for all the ways in which we order the infinite longing of our hearts to something less than God. We desire. So, we seek. Because we're a type. Not we, you know, whoever. When we do this, the fire never falls. Nothing ever happens. We cry out to a heaven where there's silence. And it's because mere worldly things cannot, even in principle, satisfy our hungry souls. They can't. And when we persist in worshiping falsely, we find ourselves in short order caught in an addictive pattern, hopping obsessively around the altar of pressure, pleasure, power, fame, desperately seeking satisfaction that never comes. That's the story of the human race. 
The self-harm inflicted by the hapless priests of Baal speaks eloquently to the self-destructive quality which any addict can attest to. Self-destructive pain. Only when the fondest desire of our soul is directed to the infinite God will the fire fall from heaven and consume our addictions. And that fire from heaven, what does it truly represent? The judgment of the Father upon the Son. Because at Mount Carmel, Elijah built an altar to God and put an animal sacrifice there. The fire that rained down from heaven was the same fire of judgment that fell upon our Lord. And therein lies the power of agape love. Therein lies the power of conquering this body and this world. It's all in the power of the cross. And if you're a believer, you have it. You have it. So before we get into the meat of this, let's together pray for God's guidance. And let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Old Testament and the whole new, in that you have made things new through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we learn today, Father, the freedom that comes from giving our whole lives to you And by doing so, loving all others with your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we know, the world has a huge problem with selfishness and self-centeredness. Our technology has made life easy for people. For instance, where does your water come from? Uh, I don't really care. It comes from my tap. It's when the tap doesn't give water that we start to wonder, where does water come from? Uh, Our food, everything. With that freedom, we have enslaved ourselves to self-centeredness because this actual technology has freed up our time. We don't have to struggle to survive, so we've got time to do other things. What have we done with this time? For most people, they have enslaved themselves to self-centeredness. And as we've stated in our study, the the world still has love, and they revere love. Songs about it, movies about it, books about it. Now, where was I looking into? Oh, Maggie and I were at the library, and I was like, let me go look at uh, books to see if I can find something. You know, I'm here in the library. Maybe I can find something. So I go over to adult fiction, and, uh, you know, I don't really know a lot of this uh, authors or anything, so I'm looking around, but but then, bam, there's Roberts, right? With like four levels of, wow, I mean, I know her, as those are love stories, right? And then Danielle Steele's over here, and you know, they're, you know, it's like, good for them, and I'm sure, I haven't read one, but if, if you like them, great, and I don't know, but it's, um, you know, the world is filled with love, the world loves it. However, this love that the world loves is Eros love. It's not agape. Nobody's writing fiction about agape. Actually, you can't write fiction about agape. Agape is centered on the cross of Christ. Eros love will actually do good for others as a way of building up their own self-confidence, their own self-conscious feeling of goodness. I'm doing good. Eros will do good for the benefit of self. And this is one of the main themes of 1 Corinthians. It is truly a major theme in 1 Corinthians is agape love. 
And we can see why. The faults and the sins of the Corinthians are a direct result of their lack of agape. They lack it. And so they devour one another. They fight with one another. They have division. They, they do not love one another. And in fact, they are absolutely convinced that they are spiritual heroes in the midst of it all. It's amazing. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Did the Corinthians know nothing about agape? I doubt it. Paul was there for a year and a half, teaching them as their pastor. They knew about it. Did the Corinthians lack agape? No. Paul is clear to tell them or address them as saints, as saved ones, as the temple of God. If you have eternal life, you have agape love. It's there. We need to mature it. We need to choose it. Uh, We need to understand it. And this takes faith, and yes, it takes time. Paul obviously linked, as he does in his writing, the ability to love to a holy life. Can I live in sin and love others with agape? No, you cannot. Because living in sin is selfishness. You can't serve two gods. You can't worship yourself and God at the same time. God makes this clear. You've got to throw it all aside. Lay aside the old man. Put on the new and be conformed to my image. It works marvelously when we do it. But the Corinthians seem to swallow Paul's message on forgiveness of sin and eternal security. They swallowed that. They gobbled that up. But Paul's teaching on holiness and love, they left it on the plate. They heard it. They didn't consume it. Some of you are slaves to temporal things. And because of that prison, you cannot love with agape love. I don't know who you are. Believe me. When I say some of you, I'm not thinking of anyone. There's an audience who listens to us online. Puts us somewhere around what I I guesstimated, about 100 people listening. Some of you are slaves to temporal things. And because of that prison, you cannot love. Some of you are slaves to alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography. And some of us judge them. And some of us who judge them are slaves to anger, depression, anxiety. Some of us worship ourselves because we sacrifice for self. We do not sacrifice for others. We'll, live for, we'll do for others when it's convenient. But to sacrifice, eh, that's when I feed myself. Therefore, who do you worship? Again, I don't know who you are, whether you're in here or out there, but God wants to set you free from the slavery you choose to live in. And there's a reason why God is so blunt about it. Do you hear him, like, debating about it? Do you hear him caressing the sinner with, oh, come on, buddy. You know, we don't read this. What we read is get with it. That's what we read. And why is God so blunt and to the point? It's because he wants to set us free and as quickly as possible. Choose, for your day. Choose today who you will worship. There is only one thing that does it, that cures us. That's the truth. What sets you free, Christ said, John 8.30. The truth will set you free. 
However, the truth is out there. All believers have the potential for the truth, but not all believers have the truth, and that's because truth cannot have its proper effect in us unless we put our faith in it. And faith means obedience. Hearing by faith means obedience. That's what it means in the Scripture. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. So as we read this in 1 Corinthians 13.7, we have the all things. There's four of them. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This all things is one word in Greek, and it's panta. Panta takes out the limits of agape. Here at the end of this definition, Paul is not telling us what agape can do. Paul is telling us that agape can do anything. There's nothing, it's really a negative, it's nothing that can't, there's nothing agape can't do. Because it's God's love. Now, he's already told us love is patient, love is kind, doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, doesn't seek itself. We've seen this, and that tells us what love can do. And here, now at the end, with four all things, four pantas, that's the Greek word, in four all things, Paul is telling us what agape, that there is nothing that agape can't do. Now, consider... And, and here, the uh, NEB, uh, sorry, REB, which is the Revised English Bible, actually does a great job with this. It turns it to the negative to make it super clear. Because this is misunderstood. It doesn't mean that, hey, just sit around and believe all things will be great, and then all things will be. That's kind of like a let go and let God thing. And that's not what Paul is saying here at all. Paul is telling us that agape can do anything. And the first one, which we started on Thursday and we're going to continue with today, is the fact that love, there's nothing that love cannot bear. Face is not so good here, but the word bears all things means to support. Support. There's nothing that love cannot support in a person, in another. Agape is always about others. There's nothing that it can't do for another. Now, you and I have come up short on this. But what we must never do is change the definition or lighten the definition of what agape is to suit our behavior, to make us feel like we're doing it a little better. We keep it in heaven. Agape is heaven. So keep it in heaven. And if you've made 0.001% of it, (laughs) don't lower it down. Don't lower it down so you can say I'm 2%. Be honest with yourself if you're barely above zero. And keep reaching for the stars. Do not change God's love. If you do so, you're changing Him. That's a God of our own making. So it's God's love that is in view. We stick with the first one again. This is... uh, So, love is an outflow of God's own life, right? Agape is, is an outflow of God's own life. The first one is support, supporting another. How does God support? The second one is uh, uh, believes all things, and that's your outlook. Your outlook In your work in another person's life, what your out- outlook is, what is God's outlook in his doing of good, loving the world? Not everybody accepts him, right? But what is his outlook? Is God up in heaven going, man, I, did I mess this up, right? Or, 
does God have a beautiful, wonderful outlook on what the future will be? Now, of course, God sees that future. But don't we also see it through him? If God promises us that all things are going to work together for good, do we have to know how they work or what the work is going to be? We do not. We just need to know that word good. And we're good. So, yeah, we know the future too. And that's why we don't freak out. So, bears is this word stego. Stego. It means to protect or preserve by covering. And therefore, it comes from the word for roof. The original uh, the, the etymology or the history of this word is roof, or as some of you in Oregon say, rough. <laughs> and, uh, and it means uh, the actual, it refers to the support. So the, the imagery of this word is that you're putting a roof over someone and you're holding it up. They can't hold it up. I mean, if they could, they wouldn't need you. But this is someone who can't support, they can't cover. It means to support another without ceasing to love them despite all the burdens on them and the burdens on you in doing it. Despite privation, trouble, hardship, toil to either of you. It means covering or enclosing in such a way as to keep something undesirable from coming in, like water into the hull of a ship. Essentially, what we're after here is to keep falsehood, lies, sin, evil, etc. from entering their souls. But we can't, like, literally do that. I can't force your soul not to take in evil. But that is my goal. How am I supporting you? Towards God. Like someone support towards sin. And to them I say, no, I'm not supporting you in that way. God's not supporting you in that way. I'm not going to support you in that way. What I am supporting you in, the way of, is away from sin and to God. However, I can do that. And I love how God leaves that to us. Figure it out. Figure out what people need. There's no manual for, you know, uh, what kind, you, you know, there's no manual for God telling you exactly what to say and exactly what to do. He tells you to go and do, and then he says, figure out how. Of course, we have prayer, the indwelling of the Spirit to guide us. So, Paul uses this word in one other place in a significant way. It's rare. It's a stego's rare. It's only used four times in the New Testament, uh, all four by Paul. Um, and in one other place is it like this. So, go to back to 1 Corinthians 9, and here it is. I put it on the board for you because we're going to make a real brief trip through Corinthians. Because to see what he means by endure here, which is that's our word, stego. He says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 9:12, we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. We endure all things. There's Ponta again. Right? So just in a few chapters later, he's going to say love endures all things. Uh, translated bears, but it's the same word. We endure all things. Why? For the gospel. Now, the gospel means a whole lot more than Paul just running into Corinth and saying John 3.16 and then running out. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's not just a voice box, a loudspeaker. Paul strives, he serves, he prays, he works, he studies, he teaches. It's on and on and on. 
The book of Acts reveals what this man goes through to preserve the gospel. And it's a lot. And Paul says, I'll do anything. I'll endure anything for the gospel. And you see, what is he supporting for them? The truth of the word of God that they need. And what are they saying to Paul? Nah, we don't want it. We want some of it. We don't want all of it. Paul says, I'm, gonna, I'm supporting you with the gospel. Are you supporting me, Corinthians? No, they are not. Paul has to get a job in Corinth. He has to get a job. Until the Philippians send him a gift, Paul has to work day in and day out. Where It actually works out splendidly for him. That's where he meets Achaia or Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is always put first for some reason. But anyway, that's where Paul meets them. He's a tent maker by trade. Every Jew was supposed to have a trade. And uh, that was his trade. And he worked. So he'd teach them, work, teach, work, teach, work, because they wouldn't support him. So they're not support. Here's, here's agape. Well, here's Eros. Eros love would say, so you're not going to support me? Really? Moving on. Adios. Hey, I tried. Who in the world is going to disagree with you? Nobody. Everybody would say, wow, you tried really hard. And Paul would say, yeah, I tried. I laid it out there. I told them. I warned them. I warned and warned them. I'm gone. What does agape do? It stays. And Paul only left because he had to. And when he left and he found out that they had completely rejected his teaching as believers, he pours out his heart in this letter and he says, I'm coming back. Why doesn't he just wash his hands of them? Look, he's got churches in Ephesus and Galatia. There's the church at Antioch. There's the Crete, he's a wonderful success in Crete. He's got the Thessalonica church, his first real church in Macedonia. It's doing marvelous. Why not just write off Corinth? Still a good batting average for an apostle. But he won't. He won't. He says to them in, I forget what chapter, I think it's chapter 2, he says, your joy is my joy. To them? You know what, I'd have a word for him. It wouldn't be fog. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. So go to 1 Corinthians 1.10. It's uh, <laughs> I couldn't resist. My glasses fogged up and I, when I was teaching on, was it Thursday? And I'm up here cleaning my glasses and I'm like, they fogged up. And I said it so quickly, there were some who listening and said, what did he just say? <laughs> I did not swear. It was fog. Fog. F-O-G. A different F word. I don't swear. I, I'm from New England. We all grew up swearing. It's amazing. It's amazing how much we swore. I had no idea how much I swore. And we have guys, ex uh, retired military here, so they're swearing like probably still do. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you get rid of that. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. Just having some fun. First uh, Corinthians one ten. Going back just to get the context here, real quick. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. What does that sound like? 
The unity. Where does unity come from? Agape love. The only source of it is that Paul describes it in Colossians 3 as the perfect bond of unity is agape. Here's the, the New Living Translation. I love this translation. It's real, if you want a, a Bible that's a little easier to read, not as clunky as the New American Standard, it's not as accurate, but it's an excellent translation. First, same passage. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. They were not doing this. They were not living in harmony. Paul points this out immediately, rolling into chapters 2 and 3, that they had division, and in chapter 1, they had division based upon quarreling with one another over who was their, divided by who was their favorite teacher. Some were Paulites, some were Peterites, some were Apolloites, and, and they, some were Jesusites, and they, you know, they, they divided themselves. Even during the Lord's Supper. This is not agape at all. And this is what Paul is after. There's a reason why his agape hymn is in this letter. They, out of all the churches, violated this the most. And it's interesting, as they violated agape, they were the most immoral. This is where we find agape in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. And also in this passage, ungodly and enemies, Christ died for us. There's agape. This is what God is calling us to be, is it not? Support one another like the Lord supported you when he hung on the cross. To that extent, God says absolutely. And, you know, again, if we water that down, just to, you know, and, and this is why Eros has been so popular in the church, because Eros makes way more sense. And it's far easier. Paul described the cross as a divine weakness. And that's an incredible statement. He says it here in this in, in Corinthians, a divine weakness that is stronger than any human strength. It's a divine folly, wiser than any human wisdom. Why? Because to us, we see God hanging on a cross and we say strength. We see God dying. I'm going, 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, dying, being the substitute for our terrible, terrible sins. And we look at that and we say that that's just stupid. Why would God do that? Plenty of people say that that's stupid. And the people who say it's stupid, the people who don't understand it, the people who don't see strength in the cross do not love. No, because if you see strength in that cross, you see none in yourself. You can't. You can't look at the cross and say, that's wisdom, and then say, you're wise. Because the cross says that you're an idiot. But the only one who's not an idiot took your place. And now you're free. So be free indeed.
Christ said, I came to give them life, and that abundantly. Where could we find a clear instantiation of the principle that it is better to suffer injustice than to commit it? It is better to suffer injustice than to commit it. Why would I suffer injustice? Because you're loving others no matter what in a world that hates it. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. So you're going to suffer injustice. Where is it better to see that than Christ crucified? That he would suffer such injustice, but would not commit one injustice. The sinless, blameless one, he nevertheless took upon himself the sin of the world. That sin was hatred, cruelty, stupidity, violence, institutional corruption, betrayal, denial, all of it. But rather than lashing out and answering violence, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Laboring under the full weight of human wickedness, his soul remained untouched by guilt. And this is why, to the consternation of all the advocates in our world, that might makes right. Right? We know this phrase, might makes right. If I'm stronger than you and I can manipulate you, then I should do so. Look, you should have been stronger. It's survival of the fittest. It's a Frederick Nietzsche, but he wasn't the one, he's not the initiator of it. Might makes right. And yet, and all our elites in this world who we say, why are they robbing us of our freedoms? Don't they care that the price of gas is over four bucks again? No, they do not. Don't they care that our cities are riddled with crime? Nope. Don't they care that our freedoms are gone and that America is losing its status as a place of freedom and liberty in the American way? Go Superman. Nope. They don't care. Why don't they care? Might makes right. They have the power and you don't. Shut up. Do what we tell you to do. And so what do we do? Ooh, that's a good question. God puts this question to us. So we fight back. Christian crusaders. We're going to storm the capital. <clears throat> we do this. We hold up the cross. That's what we do. Does this picture look familiar to you? It's right over there. Right inside our front door. It's titled, Ecce Homo. Behold the man. That's what we say. Behold the man. In here is power. By the way, he's coming back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, might will be right when that happens. He ain't coming in peace next time. But I'm coming with him. And you know why? Because I believe him. He gave himself for me and he gave himself for you, for the world. And if you believe in him, accept him, then you won't be on the justice end of this man, this God-man. You'll be on the grace end of this man. Victory. And he tells us then. So look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
The word of the cross is the power of our salvation. And the word of the cross is the power of our agape love. We support all others because he supported us and continues to. If I do what he does, is he going to help me? Or is he going to be hands off? Doesn't he promise? That's a beautiful passage in Hebrews. I think it's end of chapter 3 or beginning of chapter 4 where he says, I will, when you are tempted, I will come to your aid. This means I'll, I'll never sin again. Uh, he says, look, if you're fighting to get into the promised land like I want you to, when the temptations come, I'm going to help. If you don't care about getting into my promised land, my place of maturity, my land flowing with milk and honey, well, you choose to be on your own, then I'm going to let you be. Why would I do that? So that you can learn like Israel did, that only through me can you have victory. The 12 spies went into the promised land and they came back. The 10 of them said they're too big, they're too strong. And the people freaked out and wanted to go back to Egypt. And some 40-ish years later, 39 years later, Joshua and that younger generation fight those same people and wipe them out. It's hard. When you read it in Joshua, it happened in like, well, it happens in like two sentences. It's like over and done. It wasn't hard to do at all. Why? Because they believed. That generation believed. Sure, they were scared when they went up to the battle line, but they went anyway saying, you know, who's like David to Goliath? This battle's the Lord's. It's not mine. I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to wait and see what God does here. I love when God chucks the hail, the big hail from heaven. That the fight, uh, the battle of Gideon. Uh, It's not Gideon. I think it's Gibeon. Uh, the hail. The, the Jericho's is, is the best. I, I was thinking, you know, as I, I just read in Joshua not a little bit ago, and, and I'm, I was wondering what it would have been like to be at the army of everybody knew Israel was there. right? They're just over there past the Jordan. Or they've already come over the Jordan, I mean, and, and they're camped over there. Everybody in Jericho knows. They shut the doors. They lock themselves in. They know that Israel is defeated bunch of Amorite armies that they had no business beating. And they're nervous. And here they come. And here you are on the wall of Jericho going, all right, get ready. Here they come. And what do they do? They march around your city, blowing dough, one of these. Here's my, my next prop. This is a thing. It's still, it still smells like a goat. They're blowing on these. And there's, the priests have these. And where are these? They're right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Which, in the sun of that place, is brilliant. Like it's covered in gold. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. And as you're at the, the wall of Jericho, you're looking down and you're seeing a whole army in front and a whole army in behind. And what's smack dab in the middle? Is this golden box. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And behind the box are priests blowing these things. So it draws your attention to it. And all they do is march around your city once and then they go home. Okay. Well, that was odd. 
They come back six, five more times, do the same thing. And then the last time, they're going around seven times. They probably were like, well, here they go again. And then the walls came down. <laughs> Where is power? My power to love? It's not in me. But I, let me rephrase. It is in me. It is. It's here. But when I want to be independent from God, and then I've got all these other things in the way. For instance, go to 1 Corinthians 4 1. Let a man regard us. Sorry, I didn't let you get there. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And Paul doesn't mean just himself and his co workers, he means all of us. Let us and. Let a man regard us in this manner. What are we? Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And you know, what a steward is, is someone who has been entrusted with something to take care of. And you and I have been entrusted with eternal life and to take care of it. Then Paul, uh, yeah, for the sake of time, Paul then says, you know, I... He's got love. (laughs) And then he says in verse 8, skip down to verse 8, he says, you're already filled. You're already become rich. You've become kings without us. And indeed, I wish you had been. And this shows us that those who have heard the truth can imagine themselves to be living in it when they don't. You see, when he says this, he's being sarcastic. You're already filled. You've already become rich. You're already kings without us, meaning without our instruction, without the gospel. You have actually, you think, have elevated yourself to somewhere in some place that is mature in this, and their behavior has not been. And then Paul, in a brilliant change of pace, says in verse nine, for chapter four, verse nine, he says, "For I think this is in contrast to the Corinthians thinking that they've become kings. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all." as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're without honor. Theirs is false. Paul's is real. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our hands, And when we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. It's a similar, it's a synonym. It's not our word stego, but it's aneko, which means to hold up. It means to forbear. So when we're persecuted, we forbear. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. This parakaleo is a common word in the New Testament. It means to comfort. When we're slandered, we comfort. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And for some reason, you know, some have taken this, they just take this snippet out, and they say, well, this is dumb. Christians are all supposed to be poor and hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and homeless. That sounds like a Portland. So guys like March, Marx, not March, Marx and Nietzsche and Freud all concluded that Paul was just telling us all to be poor 
live on the streets and just believe all things will be good and it will. Has Paul chosen this life? No. Is he an ascetic? No. But Paul has experienced this life because he'll do anything for the gospel. And when the kingdom of darkness made Paul suffer like this, he said, I'm not, I'm not changing. I'm not going to scurry back to my flesh. I'm not going to quit on the plan of God. I'm not going to stop, no matter what they bring upon me. Why? Because my power, as he said back in chapter 1, the power to me is the cross of Christ. He supported me when he hung on that cross. He supports me now, and this is what he wants me to do. It is required of a steward that he be found trustworthy. And this is what God has provided for us. And, I, you know, I find it, it's fascinating, the whole thing. I can barely wrap my mind around it. It's absolutely fascinating that God has, you know, he doesn't need us to do this. Right? God could do all of this himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to bring, the, he doesn't need a guy like Paul to bring the gospel to Corinth and suffer as he did. He doesn't need Paul to be imprisoned and to witness to the praetorian guard like he did. A lot became saved because of Paul's imprisonments and his sufferings and and none of this is absolute did it was it necessary that Israel go from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land? Why not just take them straight there? You know, like Elijah, just put them on a golden chariot and zip them all to the promised land. Kick everybody else out and just plop them in. But we know the reason, don't we? None of them would know God. None of them would care. If God just gave us all the things that we wanted, who would we really worship? As Christians, we still do it. Give me God what I want. You know what that is? That's this. This is my prayer life. <laughs> That's this. And it's, you know, why, why is God bringing us in such a way? He's teaching us to be like himself. And in a fallen world, He's saying, see all that material stuff that you're so infatuated with? First, I want you to know it's temporary. And secondly, it's, well, it's the same as temporary. It's not going to last. It's going to be gone. But what in this world of temporary things that all of us can be enslaved by, He, God, has given us eternal things. And so we can choose to worship the eternal at the expense of the temporal, at the expense of the temporary. Or we can worship the temporary at the expense of the eternal. And as Jesus said, you can't have both. So if I worship whatever, material thing, think about it. For instance, what were the first few thoughts you had when you got up this morning? oftentimes a good indicator of what you worship. What was really driving you to get going today? Was it God or something else? 
So go to chapter 6. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. It means that I... Can I, whatever I could put into my body or whatever I could do, whatever I could buy, whatever I could possess, wherever I could go, whatever I could do, right? All things are all lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Anything. And you know what those anythings are? Temporal things. Temporary things. Paul says, I can have them, but they're not going to master me. But something is going to master Paul. And us as well, if we choose it. And that is eternal things. Those need to master us because the eternal things are God. God is love. Love must be my master. I have no other choice. That's my master. I must do the bidding and will of my master. I am his steward and I must be found trustworthy. And you see, and then so when I do this, what does God reveal to me? Over here. I moved it way back. Where are you? There it is. In Corinthians. You see the nice background I gave it? Nice and tranquil. No eye is this is newer living translation again. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And God, He leaves this. He leaves the temporal things that can master us, and for some of us, they are mastering us. And He's calling us and saying, look, choose. Choose to come out from under them by faith in Me. Choose. Because you must worship me. You have no other choice. I am calling you. Make your choice today. Serve me or serve other gods. But you must make your choice. He makes it a choice. And you see, when, he make, when we make this choice, it's not forced on us. We make it, it becomes ours. It becomes our very possession. I chose this life that God revealed to me. And then it becomes mine. You know, I didn't originate it. But I chose it. And I, you know, what is it going to make for my life? What is real freedom like? Oh, I could tell you it's wonderful. All right. So, um, he says now, uh, and then in verse, let me get back here. There we go. Uh, Verse 13 He said, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. He said, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. And why food? And it's because the Corinthians had this question. They asked Paul, what about meat sacrificed to idols? Is it okay to eat or isn't it? But food here doesn't just mean food. People can be addicted to food. I have my running addictions to food, especially chocolate late at night, man. Dang it. I tell myself every day I'm not going to grab and reach my hand to that bag of Ghirardelli squares. They're so good. And I fool myself. It's dark chocolate, right? I'm like, isn't that good for you? It's like good for your heart, right? Yeah, no, not when you eat a fistful of it, it ain't. (laughs) You know, we've all got our addictions. uh, But (laughs) some of them are a lot worse than others. Um, 
But that's what food represents here is any temporal, material thing that can master you. It is miserable to be mastered. You're sitting in a jail cell with the door open and you won't walk out. Because Christ has opened that door. And he's saying, come on, let's be free. Be free like I'm free. And for that to be true, you have to be mastered by the eternal. And this means, and so now we finally get to it. If I have to give up something temporal to serve the eternal, no problem. I can't eat that food in front of that person. It's temporal. I don't care about temporal. I can't drink that alcohol in front of that person. Doesn't bother me. I'm not mastered by it. You see, if I'm mastered by it, I have to have it. And it doesn't matter who it hurts. And then I, I, I self-deceive and tell myself, well, you know, whatever. I self-deceive. I, I, I could give you very various ways I've self-deceived. It doesn't matter. We've all done it. I've done it excessively. I have to give up that time, that personal time to serve. No problem. Time's temporal. Time is temporal. Money is temporal. Things are temporal. None of them are my master. The Lord is my master. And this is why agape, agape is the freedom of God through the cross of Christ in which I stand. And therefore, I have freedom from all of this fallen world through my Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the fallen world and was never contaminated by any of it and then took upon himself all my sin to be raised on the third day. What a story. What a reality. So I'm, I'm talking to a family member, the younger guy, and he is struggling. I'm talking to him yesterday. I didn't know this. I found out yesterday. Struggling. Substances, uh, other issues, life issues. Pretty much what everybody, many, many, many people face. And yet, it's dragging them down. And I tell him, I said, I don't know much. But what I do know is that God is your creator. And that in him, in him alone, will you find life that you're looking for. And only through Jesus Christ can that happen. And I hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on in the conversation. I bide my time. I love this guy. He's one of my favorites. And I didn't know he was hurting. How do I get him to see it? How do I get him to believe it? How do I get Because the freedom is right. It's low-hanging fruit. Just grab it. But I can't. I can only show. I can only say here's the path. I can't force. And then I think to myself, is there any kind of way I can put this that will make it just you know, insatiable. And God's like, shut up, dummy. Just say the truth. It's God who's going to do this work. But what if this person rejects it over and over and over? And I've communicated this solution to him, the solution that I've chosen and seen the freedom in, and yet he won't pick it. 
And it's been a hundred times that I've, cho- that I've told him. Eros love would say, I've reached my limit. Agape must keep going. And what does it cost me? Some words, some effort, some prayer. And then God is saying, do you really love him? I mean, do you? Do you love him like I love him? And that's a great challenge. So back to chapter 9, now verse 11. We see what this verse now in context through, you know, that was a real fast journey through the first half of Corinthians. Verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? And why does he share this right? If you skip back to verse 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the work, my work in the Lord? Have I not founded your church? Am I not the preeminent apostle? And then again, back down to verse 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure their stego. We endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. I serve the eternal. And if you won't support me, I still serve the eternal because God supports me. And that's agape. We can easily take Paul's words, God's word, in one ear and out the other. Yeah, it's nice. Sounds nice. But all of us have to grow in agape love. All, no, none of us have arrived to the pinnacle of agape love. And some of us need to actually start agape love by stopping the selfishness. Again, some of us are slaves. Alcohol, drugs, sex, anger, depression, anxiety, self. And in being slaves, we will never love. You have eternal life, the love is there. But you're the prodigal son, still out there in the world, chasing, 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 starving. You're the prophets of Baal. not saying you're an unbeliever, but you're dancing around the wrong altar, crying out, crying out to a God that's not there, waiting for some, something to fill your soul. Come down and fill my soul. And it ain't never going to happen. So, again... God is blunt with us, is He not? And here's what He says. Go back to chapter 4, 14. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I do not write these things to shame you, says Paul. 4, 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I'm not trying to shame you, nor am I. But if the truth isn't spoken, if it's not spoken directly, that the Lord demands our absolute fidelity to Him. And only in that fidelity, only in that commitment and obedience and faith, not sinlessness, that we will actually live the life of freedom and we will be free indeed. As the Lord 
Again, this last passage, the thief comes, he said, only to steal and kill and destroy. John 10.10. That thief, that's Baal, Baal. That's the addiction. That's the material. That's the slavery and mastery of the temporal over me. That is my prison. That's the thief. That he said, I came. That they might have life and have it abundantly. And how? Through his cross. The crucified Lord said no as radically as possible to all idols. He was, many of us, many people, many of us, I don't know who, but worship wealth. Jesus on the cross was stripped, naked, poor. Many of us worship pleasure on the cross. He was at his limit of suffering, both physical and psychological. Many of us worship power. On the cross, he was nailed in place and couldn't move. And many of us worship honor. But on that terrible cross, he was the object of scorn and ridicule. The cross is our agape. Romans 5a. And then... In that life of agape is the abundant life. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, our, for your grace, through your word, through our Lord, and what he has so blessed us with through, you, through himself, you have blessed us with through him. Through him, Father, and him alone, is eternal life. And anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, please consider who is the Lord. I am offering to you right now the way of eternal life. Uh, I am offering it as God is offering it through me, that you can, in a moment, believe in Christ as your Savior. To grab hold of eternal life, to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, future, all of them. He saved us. And on the third day, He was resurrected. Resurrected, ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of God. He's coming back. And you can face Him in judgment or you can be with Him eternally in life. Believe upon Him. That's what the Bible says. Believe upon Him and you will be saved. Again, we thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.